and welcome to this month's edition of the Indie Jigsaw Show. I'm Fiona McGregor and with my co-host Marlene Halliday, we'll be talking about the Constitution for Scotland with the help of some passers-by in Milgai. But first, here's Marlene to introduce our special guest. So welcome everyone, it's another edition of In The Jigsaw Show and the theme for this edition is a possible constitution for an independent Scotland. I was really pleased that we managed to get this interview, it's with Mike Russell. So for people who are trying to remember what jobs he did in the Scottish Parliament, I mean his last job was as a Cabinet Secretary for the Constitution, Europe and External Affairs. Before that he was a Cabinet Secretary for uh, Constitutional Relations. But it was great talking to Mike, and we just happened to uh, find ourselves chatting to him up on our broth, didn't we? We did. We just bumped into him on his way off the stage after he'd given his address at the, the rally. Um, and he was very generously agreed to come and be interviewed by us, which was lovely. So, yeah, so Mike was there on the march, and of course, he, he gave that uh, speech uh, at the rally afterwards. Um, if anyone wants to see that whole speech, you can find it on our Indie Live extra channel on YouTube. For the moment, let's go to the interview that we did with Mike and then after that we'll have a little chat about it. I'm sitting here as it were with Mike Russell, president of the SNP, but of course also been an MSP in Holyrood for a great many years. Could we start to begin with and just put it in the perspective of where things are now? Because we're in the UK, it doesn't have a written constitution. It's very odd that you, we live in a country without a, essentially a codified constitution. There are bits of, of written constitutions. You know, you could say that the Scotland Act is a, is a bit of a written constitution. But of course, this is all subsumed in this, uh, this 18th and 19th century idea of Westminster sovereignty, that whatever happens, Westminster is in charge and cannot ever be gainsaid by, by anybody. And that devolution is essentially a delicate dance around that concept of Westminster sovereignty. So that creates an unreality. Uh, you know, if, any, if any parliament believes it is so important and so mighty, that it cannot be gainsaid. And indeed now, uh, it doesn't even look as if a you know, prime minister has to, mm. has to answer to, to anybody but himself. In all yeah. those circumstances, we need to step away from that. And to say, what, what, what would reasonable citizens expect in the country in which they live? Not subjects, but reasonable citizens expect in the 21st century in the country in which they live. So there is a crying demand, a need for a written codified constitution that we all know where we stand. And not only, and that will bring us on to the issue of, of a transitional constitution, not only where we stand and are going to stand, but how we get from one to the other because the, the process of independence is extremely important. I, I, I absolutely buy into the, the idea that in 2023 people will have the chance, we hope, to, to, to vote, and I buy into the idea that I want them to vote for that. But then, voting for it, we have to make it happen. And that means taking the will of the people and, and converting that into a, a set of arrangements that allows Scotland to become independent and to join the world. And to, to a great extent, that's what a transitional constitution is about. It's not about the final outcome. It's not about how you and I might want to see Scotland as a, an independent country. And we can certainly talk about that. And, you know, we all have ideas, and I think very radical ideas. It's how we get from A to B, and it's how we offer the reassurance to those people who did not support it 
that that process can be take place in an orderly fashion. And that's what we're engaged in at the moment. Yeah. So do you want to say a bit about how you've been going, how you've been going about that? I, I have to say I've come slightly late to it. There have been various attempts at constitutions. The great Neil McCormack, of course, had a, a more than a, a passing acquaintanceship with this issue and, and drafted a, a constitution. Others have attempted to draft constitutions, but they've all been on the basis. This is how, how we want Scotland to look when we are independent. I was sceptical about the issue of being engaged in that now. When I was cabinet secretary for the constitution, it seemed to me that we had to essentially get independence or get people to vote for independence before we did anything else. But I got persuaded in two ways that I might have been wrong about that and was wrong about that. One was by Elliot Bulmer, the, who is a constitutional specialist and lawyer and, mm -hmm. and somebody who has been involved in drafting constitutions and is still involved in drafting constitutions as an academic and an expert. Uh, and, and the other really was the experience of talking to people across the ES movement who wanted something that would provide the framework for us to work together after a, after a yes vote to get to that moment of independence and beyond it. So uh, last year, uh, when Nicola had asked me to, to, to provide some political direction to some of these issues within the party, I uh, approached a number of yes organizations, not all SNP by any manner of means, and said, how, how about working together to see if we could get that transitional constitution on the grounds that if you know, the wider yes movement bought into it, then it had a, a chance of, of succeeding and providing something that was useful. And uh, once that had been agreed and we'd had that conversation and people had come on board, a range of organizations had come on board, then we commissioned Elliot Bulmer to write a draft. That happened, the draft exists, it is being looked at by those organizations. And I hope that shortly, and, and everything you know, takes time, I hope that shortly we'll have a second draft and then we can begin to consult on that. Now, we can't consult in the way that a government consults. I mean, that's, that's beyond us. But we can consult about what this should look like. Now, in the process of doing this, some people have seemed to have got the wrong end of the stick and have been waving it quite vigorously. This is not a finished constitution. This is not it. Uh, you know, there are things that won't be in that because they haven't been agreed. And we'll come to that in a moment. Things like you know, the monarchy and things like that, which which you know, we can have opinions on, but we're not actually in a position to say this is what's going to happen in a transitional constitution. But it should provide the reassurance and the framework to allow us to become independent. And it doesn't have to be anodyne. You know, there are there are things in it that are really important. For example, you know, a single chamber parliament and no House of Lords is an obvious thing. And therefore, if there's no House of Lords, there's no room for titles and, and, uh, and such things. So those just go because they go with the current constitutional structures. So that's the work's being done. I hope at some stage this year we'll have a, a second draft. We will be able to talk about that second draft. And then if, if that can get agreed or reasonably widely agreed, then I think it's up to the Scottish government as, as we move forward, because uh, in the event of a yes vote, yeah. which I think will take place, that's when you start to bring this in, you start to get it in place for a date for which it becomes effective. And what we have now stops being so, and we move to that transitional constitution, and we make a commitment. Really, final point, sorry to go on too long on this, but it's really no. important. <laughs> At that point, we have to set a date and a procedure to have the final constitution, and that the transitional constitution will mandate that. Now, my own position, the SNP position on this, is that there should be a type of citizens' assembly, uh, the people of Scotland should be involved, including those who did not vote for independence, in deciding what that final constitution is. 
I was involved in setting up the, the Citizen Assembly in Scotland, uh, the one we had two years ago. I very much believe that that's the right way to do it. So I want the transitional constitution to mandate a period of time in which that has to take place and how it will take place. Uh, if you leave it too long, then that's not good. Yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, maybe at this point, I should um, probably say, but in the interest of transparency, kind of say that I, I'm one of the people who's involved in this uh, consultative group that Mike set up. I'm there on behalf of um, Pensioners for Independence. Um, and, uh, I, I, you know, myself and, and my colleague from, from Pensioners for Independence, we were very, um, we were very pleased to be, at, we were pleased to be asked. And then, and then you emailed us the draft version of it. And uh, I have to say, I kind of, I, I kind of wilted. <laughs> I, I thought, wow. And it, there's, it's, I mean, how many pages? And it's over 50 pages. Yeah, yeah, it? yeah. It's over 50 pages. So it takes quite a lot of determination to go through those 50 pages with a bit of a fine tooth comb, because that's what you asked all the groups to do. Read it send back comments any additions things we thought could be could be better and a lot of it seemed to me to be absolutely essential that that sort of thing was in a constitution you know worthy but sort of boring absolutely you've got to have it yeah, yeah. you've got to have it you know it... the reason it's taking a bit of time too is because it's not just pensions for india we're commenting there's a whole range of yes, bodies, yes and all that yes. stuff's had to be collated now i think elliot has almost finished that task and I hope we'll be able to move on after after the local elections to yeah. begin to to work on that. But yes, I mean there are things in it which you know you would have to be a constitutional obsessive to find that <laughs> interesting. But other really important things in it. Yeah. I mean, you know, many of us would want to see something done about uh, the issue of land ownership. But the question of whether you can put that into a transitional constitution or whether that becomes an issue for a final constitution is a moot point. I, I don't know is the answer to that. And out of the, the next round of this discussion, I think we're going to resolve that and find a way to, 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 to resolve yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yes. That, that hopefully that would be the case. So so just to just to be clear about what might happen. So Elliot's going to be looking through all our comments and coming up with a version two. At some point, there'll be more discussion, but at some point, if I'm correct, then your, your, um, your intention is to put that to the Scottish government and, well, and ask it to be put through, put to Hollywood. Yeah, the, the next stage in this is where you know, the organisations involved um, will come back together. They've already given their submissions. It took, as ever, longer than we had hoped. Some people were slow, some people lost it, some people forgot. But anyway, there it is. It's there. I hope, as I say, after local elections, some stage, we'll sit down, I hope face to face for the first time. This has all been done virtually so far. We'll come to a conclusion of what the second draft looks like. We'll then ask the organisations to talk about that second draft to their members um, and to see what their members think, to widen the pool out a bit. And then we'll get, we hope, to a final draft. Now, that final draft, I'm then open to what we do, but my own, my own view is that, that we should publish that final draft at that stage. I mean, there's no point in publishing it now because there's so yeah. much detail in it. Yeah. We'll publish that final draft and we'll give it to the Scottish Government and we'll say... That's been arranged and uh, agreed by these bodies, and in this way, uh, we hope that that is an important contribution to the development of a transitional constitution. Now, in 2014, towards the very end of the, 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 the campaign, the Scottish Government did publish uh, a, a sort of draft constitution, but I think everybody would accept it was a bit of an afterthought. I hope this time things will be much, much more better prepared, and you have seen even the first draft 
you know, I think that document does contain what we need in order to move from A to B. But there's also another point is the point of reassurance. If yeah. you have people who are find this process worrying, who are against this process or against independence, we have to say to them, look, your rights are guaranteed and absolutely guaranteed. The rights and privileges that you have now will be guaranteed. You know, privileges is a loose word. I'm not talking about being a member of the House of Lords, but you know, the things you have as a citizen, you will continue to have. And there are examples in other places where that process has not necessarily protected those who, 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 who were against change. And therefore, we have to be able to provide that protection and reassurance. So the Constitution has to provide that too. Uh, it has to provide the defence for individual citizens. Yeah, so, so does that mean then that that final version, or well, final as far as our, mm -hmm. our group is concerned, that will have been maybe put to the Scottish Government, does that mean that then that would be, well, in a way, part and parcel of the the NDRF2 campaign when it happens because well, people would need to know but people could know in advance you know well okay I might not be in favour of this but at least I know you know my, my human rights are safe or you yes. know that, that is important but also I think we have to say to people look I think you know my view is that the coming independence referendum will be different from the last one Mm. And be, one of the reasons it'll be different is because we've got far more people involved and far more organisations involved and far more versions of what we all want to see. So we're going to have to accept difference and difference of opinion. And perhaps in 2014, we didn't do enough of that. So what the Constitution also is, is a shared space where we're, we're, we're guaranteeing things and protections to people, although they have different visions. And we're saying to them, once we are independent, then we can contend for the final version, but also contend for government. And government itself will change that. You know, you could, I think it's highly unlikely, but you could elect a government in Scotland that didn't want to change land ownership, you know? And that would be legitimate. I mean, I, I wouldn't support it and I'd do my best not to make sure it wasn't elected, but you know, that would be legitimate. So we also have to, in our minds, be clear that there are those things that are embedded in the constitution and there are those things that are a matter of government. And that's also a process we need to go through. Yes, yes, indeed. And and um, in the, um, I think it's in the preliminaries to the the, the draft, um, the draft that uh, Elliot's done. Uh, he, you know, he t he talks about it being um, a defensive document. Yes, yes. You know, I don't. That's not rocking the boat sort of document. Well, yeah, I, the word defensive, I think, is used in 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 a very legalistic sort of word. There, it it allows essentially to to to, to defend individuals. I'm not sure it doesn't rock the boat. I mean, I think the very idea of a written constitution rocks the UK boat and, and should rock <laughs> yeah, the UK boat. Yeah. Um, I think what it is is you know, there are some issues. Let, let's let's touch on the most difficult of them, you know, which is the issue of, of the head of state. There are some issues which you know it, it, I don't believe can be resolved in a transitional constitution, but they can be resolved in a final constitution. You know, I, I, I'm, I, you know I've, I've always taken the view that it is important we get to independence before we start bashing each other over the head about who's going to be head of state or stuff. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm not in any sense worried about it because I can live very happily with the idea which we have a Scottish Republic. Uh, and that's you know, just as easy for me to accept as a, a, a limited constitutional monarchy. I don't have any strong feelings about it, but I don't think we'll resolve it at this stage. Now, you know, we might be able to, 
but I think it's more likely that we will resolve it at a future stage in a final constitutional process. And therefore, what this needs to do is to provide an improvement, a modernization on it. And you know, the, the constitution does make some changes to it, but it has not produced a final answer to that question. And of course, you know, the SNP position has always been the Queen would remain as the head of state, or the, the monarch would remain as head of state as long as the Scottish people wanted them. And, but there would be a mechanism by which they could say they didn't want that to continue. And I think that that is probably the right way to handle it at the moment. Yeah, yes. So going back then to, um, although I, I must admit, I found some of it hard going to focus on and, and, and read through. And um, yeah, I could see things were essential, but maybe a bit boring. But, but that's not true of everything that's in, even in oh. this draft. There are some parts to it that are quite aspirational, aren't mm -hmm. there? So obviously, Elliot Bilmer thinks that that's okay to put in what's even just a provisional document. But what it struck me was that those bits that are a bit more aspirational, they're actually kind of what engage you emotionally. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and there's a drafting issue to be dealt with here, too. You know, I mean, it's quite difficult sometimes to make legal drafting exciting and, and inspirational. But there should be things in that constitutional, particularly a preamble, that should be exciting yeah. and inspirational. And we've got we've still we're still to do that, and we've still to make sure that that happens. I mean, this is a process that isn't isn't even halfway through yet. So that that is to happen. I don't think it should be boring. I think it should be exciting. But equally, I don't think we should oversell it on the basis of you know this is the final word that we're going to have about everything, because you know we we could get ourselves bogged down. In, yeah. in an awful lot of debate and discussion and get nowhere. Whereas if we provide the reassurance and the vehicle, you could understand this as a vehicle that's going to take us the next step. People, there's a campaign, people vote for independence. The vehicle sets off, you know, when we get to the day of independence, it is on the road and it takes people through to the setting of the final constitution. And that final constitution, there's also mechanisms by which uh, you know, a final constitution can be changed, but they have to be pretty rigorous mechanisms. You know, um, in the case of Ireland, there's, there's a constitutional requirement for a referendum in these circumstances. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there, there's usually quite a heavy legislative bar you know, that you would have to have a pretty high bar before you could change the constitution, the final constitution. Yes, and and I mean that that's that's just a good thing, isn't it? I mean, you you I mean, constitutions are not fail safe. I mean, they can no. be tampered with. You see it in certain other countries. That's kind of happening or happened in the past, and hopefully, we'd hope that wouldn't happen in Scotland. But obviously, it needs to be a you know a pretty high bar to to change things. I mean, what I what what one of the first things that that um, came to my mind when you know we, we got the invite from you to join in this discussion. Um, was uh, was a sort of sense of um, this could be something that could really engage people, really kind of well bring yeah. people together, but also create a, a, an even more of a sense of the country we belong to, the kind of nation that we want, um, like what what the country yeah. stands for, what it yeah. actually what it doesn't stand for, and I, I find that um, that find that really really exciting. Actually, I find it very moving, actually. Um, yeah, no, no, absolutely. A, a constitution shouldn't be dry, and a constitution is an expression of who who we think we are and where we stand in the world. Uh, you know, and, and essentially, we should be aspirational and positive and inclusive about that. Now, I just don't think we would probably can do it all at once 
Yeah. I think that that's something that we need to engage all our fellow citizens in, and that is best done after independence. But how do we get to that moment? And, and can we start it off? And I mean, I think the transitional constitution can also be inspirational. But yes, it's exciting because it's a definition of who we are. And, and it's also something we can rely on as citizens. I mean, one of the really difficult things, you know, in, in the current UK setup is you can't really rely on anything. There's a, a hodgepodge of things that you could sort of think about, but there's nothing that you can pick up and open up and say, that is what guarantees uh -huh. me. That yeah. is what guarantees me, you know? And people go around, you know, in America, and, you know, they have constitutional problems with yeah. the constitution. Yeah. You know, they have the constitution there. And, uh, you know, I think now there's, there's also an example there of how, Sometimes things get, you know, out of date, set in stone, but have, have, have people become constitutionalists. They believe absolutely. And then you get other constitutions that are not observed. You know, you can think of countries which have, you know, elaborate defenses for citizens, which are simply ignored. So the constitution has to be alive and it has to be relevant and has to be actively used. Yeah. So that we want to make sure we have a document that can do that. I was thinking about the medical one, I was thinking, well, yeah, like, you know, the Second Amendment about the right to bear arms, which mm -hmm. which you could understand why it was in there yeah. at the time, but but now it's just used as a as an absolute setting stone excuse yeah. for, for not being able to have proper controls on, on gun laws. You know, people get fixated with, with some things. I mean, you know, the, it is human nature to become fixated with things, and they get fixated with an element in it. And we have to guard against that. So you know, we have to be very careful in what we write down and how we write it down and, and how it gets enacted. One of the things that helped to change my mind was a, a tremendous book about constitution making that came out, I think, two years ago, which really turned on, on its head all the expectations you had and pointed out that some constitutions had been you know, very regressive, very narrow things that actually damaged uh, countries. So we need to be aware and conscious of all that too. And also in the 19th century, the great era of constitution making, where you know people made constitutions at the drop of a hat. That's now unusual for that to happen. So we, but we've got huge examples in front of us, and so much history that we we know about that we can, I hope, get this right. Yes, indeed. And I, I found it interesting, like recently, various yes groups meetings and kind of what have you. And and every now and again, you get someone talking about referring back to often a very old historical document. So it might be the Declaration of Our Broth, but there are other ones that are more modern than that, but still quite old. So yeah. referring back to historical documents with the notion that, well, let's let's base our constitution on what's in those. Now, I sympathise with that. Again, I sympathise with that emotionally, especially the one about the Declaration of Our Broth. But we need a new constitution for a new country. So is it really, yes. to what I extent, mean, is it feasible to do that? No, I, you know, I mean, you, you said quite rightly, I think there are 50 pages in this one. Life is complicated and it's more complicated than it was. Uh, and we must also be you know, fairly rigorous in our scholarship about what these old documents say. I mean, you know, I, I, on an emotional level, I, I'm happy to accept that the Declaration of Our Growth influenced the, yeah. uh, the American Declaration of Independence. There is a fairly lively debate as to whether that was the case or not. Uh, and in actual fact, you know, people will look at the claim of right and say probably more likely to have influenced it. So, I mean, the, the idea within the Declaration of Our Growth, you know, although that also takes a, a little bit of a pinch of salt with that they, there was a, essentially a contracted kingship. 
you know, and if somebody let you down, you got rid of them and you got yeah. somebody else, you know, is a very, it's an absolutely right, it's a good idea that has stood the test of time. But, you know, I mean, there are other things and there are ways of expressing. You think, yeah, it's really interesting, but it's not actually relevant to where we are now. Yeah. I think you've got to have a, bring an element of skepticism to this, but also an element of making sure that what we do is thought through carefully and is relevant now, but not so relevant now that it either becomes out of date or is a barrier to things to things happening. An example would be the place of an electoral commission. A modern constitution should tell you how your elections are held and should provide the framework to make sure that that happens in a free and fair manner. And therefore you will need, you know, in, in modern times, you will likely have an electoral commission, which is an independent body, which supervises those elections. Um, and, you know, that just that does not exist in the Declaration of Our Birth, partly because there are no elections. You know? <laughs> Coming to where we actually are now, obviously a very different place from uh, from 700 years ago, but where we actually are now. So do you think um, do you think that maybe there should be some safeguards in place, even within this uh, provisional document, just to safeguard against possibilities that might happen um, to rock, you know, uh, the first well, what probably the first few years, first two or three years of, of Scotland being independent. I mean, I'm thinking of things like property ownership. You know, if there was a if there was a sudden rush of by property developers snapping up property, whether it's land or whether it's um, you know whether it's buildings, um, you know, land and who can buy it. In, in those circumstances, you have to differentiate between what is in the constitution and what is a political position held by political parties. So, you know, the constitutional issue there is how much land should individuals be able to own? And are there special circumstances and some places perhaps where even those provisions need to be looked at critically? Then there's a political issue of whether or not you want, you know, holiday homes to exist. You know, and, and you have to be careful not to conflate the two because uh -huh. it's far too easy to say the constitutional position is that we should never have holiday homes. That's, that's clearly not true. You know, that's legislating against holidays. But there are circumstances, and they've been discussed before, you know, discussed when the Land Commission was established. Is there a limit to how much land people should own? Should there be a ceiling to that? Uh, should, should people be able to you know, buy a percentage of things? Now, you know, I, I believe that there probably should be. And I think that that is a debate that we continue to have in Scotland. There's also the question of if, if somebody does own a large bit of land, what are the rights of the people who live on that land? You know, and can those ever be taken away? And now that's actually largely land legislation, but there may be rights in terms of how people live in a community that needs to be enshrined in the constitution. Now, we need a lot of thinking about this. I mean, as you I go back to what you said about it's a complicated document. The more you read it, the more you think about how we sh what is appropriate for a constitution, what is appropriate for legislation and, and political yeah. debate and then to further make it further complicated what's appropriate for a transitional constitution and what's appropriate for a final constitution so we have all those debates to have and we need to have them carefully and thoughtfully and and sometimes not in the at political atmosphere of the present time where you know if you if you say something you're likely to be jumped on by 27 people on twitter so we we, we need to, we need to watch out for that too yes indeed and um I, I, that, that just brought to mind that actually it was on Twitter, it was just the other day, it was a tweet that Elliot Bulmer had um, put out 
And uh, the, the main point of the tweet was something else, but he mentioned that he one of he mentioned one of his own books, which is called um, Constitution for the Common Good. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I just saw the title of that and thought that hits the spot, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. if you've got a constitution and and the one that we end up provisional one to begin with, and then a, a final one, and people can look at it in Scotland and go, okay, well maybe don't agree with everything in that um but they can see that it is a document that's attempting to yes. attempting to do that that would be that would be quite an accomplishment to have um, to have brought about i'm really keen that bodies and individuals and bodies that are involved in this come to it with a spirit of goodwill not not you know not in a partisan fashion but you know and so far so good uh, as you know as you know there's been you know a couple of meetings we've had couple of them people have been a bit doubtful as to whether it started off doubtful whether this was the right thing to do i think also contributes to a sense that you know we are all working together on something important the independence project is an important project we need to find a way to work together on that despite our differences uh, you know and our movement has been it's been a bit rocky at times in in recent times because sometimes that's not been the case and i and you know i keep saying when I'm at things and where I'm at things, you know, like the rally in our both a couple of weeks ago, you know, there's much more that unites us and divides us. Yeah. If we can work practically on things together, then we can we can lose the demonization. But we also have to do it with mutual respect. And that, that's certainly what we've seen in the in the constitution process. Everybody has respected each other's positions. Now we're gonna to have to have some pretty intense horse trading, I suspect, when we come to the to come to the second draft, but I think that will hold because I think people will respect each other and know that there are different points of view. And you've got, you know, you've got a bit of an ideological spread too. You've got, you know, some people will take very strong positions. Good. Uh, You know, I hope I can hold the jackets for long enough (laughs) to get to the second stage and then we'll see where we go. I've sort of left feeling, but it's it's just a prize. You know, that constitution in the end is a prize that's really, really worthwhile, you know, striving for and mm-hmm. putting in effort and thought into it. And, um, you know, I really appreciate hearing how your own views over, over time have changed on that. Thanks for coming and talking to no, us here today. And uh, obviously I'll see you in the, in the next of those. I hope you will be getting stuff after the local elections and We'll take it on from there. It's it's taken it's running slower than I wanted, but then everything does. Yeah. But I think we're we've got a good thing that we can achieve here, and I think we can find a way to do it. So thank you for taking part in it. Thank you no, for having thank me. You. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks very much, thank Mike. You're listening to the Indie Jigsaw Show from the Indie Live Podcast Team. Wasn't that interesting? I really enjoyed listening to that. And it, it's fascinating seeing how this process of gathering different groups together and gathering our thoughts and preparing um, for something that's going to take us right through, hopefully beyond independence and yeah. into a, a final constitution. Yeah, yeah. And and I mean, I mean like I said in, in the interview, um, pensioners for independence got, uh, got asked if they'd like to, to take part. And myself and the the, the co-convener of um, Pensions for Indian National Group, he, we're both in it, and uh, it is it's 
it's it's it's fascinating. I mean, I did wonder during, when I was talking to Mike if I hadn't used the word boring a bit too much because because actually I really don't. Boring isn't really the right word, but it's just it's just very precise language and mm. it's going into detail. And I completely understand why it needs to be like that. But but actually, on the whole, my experience of um, of reading it through it and thinking about it was uh, was far from boring. It just starts you thinking about well, you know, what you and I have said on other occasions actually, Fiona, that you know it's exciting isn't it it's by the time we've got the finished article i don't mean the, the provisional one but the final one you know we'll have created the basis for uh, for scotland going forward and that's that's just great being able to um it's to, to know that you've added a little bit into that oh yeah it's almost like being one of the signatories to the original <laughs> declaration of Albrecht, albeit <laughs> Less ceiling wax involved and more computers. Yes, and I suspect you and I wouldn't have been allowed because, you know, oh, wrong gender. <laughs> well, how times have changed, eh? But the other thing I, I found really interesting listening when you were talking was having come from our growth and the history of it, the 702 years, having walked through the Abbey, you made the very valid point that that's great. It's history. It's emotionally engaging and inspirational. But actually, that's not a basis for what we need for a modern country going forward. And I do really connect myself, you know, with, you know, a little bit about what's in the Declaration of mm. Our Growth and, and that there's, a, there's a couple of other historical historical documents. And and I do think that a constitution maybe eventually can, can refer back to those. They can refer back to particularly, I think, the one about from the Arbroath one that um, the king's job is to look after the land and the people. And if he's not doing a good job, the people can get themselves another king. I mean, I'll say I'm paraphrasing there, but something like that you can refer back to in a constitution because I'm sure there'll be something that we'd want to put in our modern constitution that mm -hmm. echoes, echoes that. But you obviously wouldn't use the same form of words and and as mike said there's there's, there's just so much that's not in those old documents mm -hmm. um but but yeah maybe as a preamble to the main one because what we need is a, a modern constitution for a new mm. nation and we've got that other interesting example of the constitution for iceland yeah. where they, they left denmark at the time of world war ii took the danish constitution and crossed out Denmark and put Iceland, more yeah, or less. Yeah. And then in 2011, I think it was, there was a huge grassroots input into coming up with a, an improved constitution. And it was probably our, our first glimpse at the power of social media for doing that kind of you know political engagement of your population. And we've got the clip, actually, of Catherine Odd's daughter talking to Leslie Riddick about that constitution so let's just put a little look at that now yep and then we'll come back in a minute so it's it's only about five minutes long but it's from the nation iceland film that phantom power and leslie riddick did the new icelandic politics produced radical ways of thinking about how politics could be done including revising the nation's very foundation of democracy the constitution you were one of the people that put together the crowdsourced constitution, uh, which has actually entrapped everybody and snared everybody's attention across the world for its boldness. Um, what was the reason for needing to do that? Well, <clears throat> Iceland became independent in 1944. Let's start. Let's start. <laughs> Big bang. We are Big Bang. <laughs> no, but sorry, I have to explain. Because uh, after that, we always we, we decided, okay, Danes were occupied by the Nazis, so we're just going to sneak away 
because we've been trying for ages to get away and and finally we, we had a moment there. So we were doing that and we said, okay, let's just have the constitution from Denmark change the word uh, king with president and run. So we just voted on the two things. Do we want to be independent? Secondly, do we want this to be the constitution? And everybody was in agreement that this should only be a preliminary constitution. However, now, seventy years later, we still have that old Danish crappy constitution, you know, and we've always intended to write our own. It's part of being a real independent nation, in my opinion, to have your own social contract. So why, you know, why would you be a society or a nation if you can't even agree upon your own foundational law? Uh, and then after the crash in Iceland in 2008, there was this amazing moment of clarity, you know, where people f finally were like, okay, so hang on, why are we doing this? You know, why, why do we have the law? Why do you have all the system? What we thought we had was completely not working, so now we have to make a new one. And, and then finally there was this like enough sort of general support, especially from the power holders, to actually do this, you know, well. So they decided, okay, we've been trying to do this for years without any success ourselves. Uh, let's give it to the people. So they had this amazing National Assembly with 1,000 randomly selected people coming together for a whole day in a sports complex, just deciding upon the values of that new constitution. And then uh, after that, and it was all streamed and online and, and so on, that was back in 2011, and after that uh, they had the elections where 25 people got elected, including myself, and uh, we decided, uh, after a little bit of a stubbly beginning, that we would try to be the change. So let's open it up. We're asking them to be transparent, our power holders. We're asking them to be accountable. Let's do that then ourselves. So we only had one IT guy, and we were doing this all on the run. We only had four months to write thing. But we decided to, okay, let's just, let's just do this, you know. Let's, let's do it and let everybody uh, comment on it and see what we're doing as we do it. How did you manage that? We connected our uh, website to Facebook. Every week we published a draft. So first time we published it, it was just the chapters, you know. Just, uh, and people could come and through their Facebook account saying like, okay, why isn't this in front of this or whatever, you know. And when we first published it online, we were really scared. Because you know the way <laughs> people can talk online sometimes, it's just foul, you know. Yeah. So we thought, okay, they're going to go like at us, you know, and it's going to be one ugly mess, you know. But that did not happen at all. And actually what happened was that the people, they sort of repaid the trust that we gave them with a lot of dignity in the conversation. So we got great ideas coming from the people through that uh, site and also people could just send us proposals. We also, of course, reached out a lot to the experts and, you know, draw, drew, drew them in. But, uh, but basically the openness of it uh, was not only just to get more ideas and, uh, and to make it sort of more white, but also to create ownership, you know, mm. that we together would do this, you know. It's about democracy in the whole. It's about if people should believe that we can actually deepen democracy as a concept or if we should just forget about it. Because we are looking at the same trends mm. everywhere where people are losing trust in the representatives. They don't bother to show up. They feel they can't have uh, any say in anything. And power is somewhere completely different than to where they're at. Nobody listens to them. This is so understandable. Why should I participate in a dance that isn't really about me or for me or, or, or even, I don't even like the tune playing in the background, you know, why should I? So uh, we need to try to use examples like this in Iceland where people have actually been able to participate and they've delivered something much greater than if they wouldn't have participated and make it into reality to show that this is a, a viable path. You know. And what would you say at the moment are the odds of this actually happening? The surveys show that the support is only rising. So you, you're not going to ignore this. There's no way yeah, you can. 
I don't know if we will get it exactly the same way that we wrote it, but we will get it as the basis for a new constitution, I am 100% sure. So it, that was really interesting, wasn't it, to listen to hear how they, they went about it. And yet, you know, it didn't, in the end, it didn't produce something that, that they've been able to get into, mm. you know, into law. And, and, and that's in a, in a country with just 300,000 of a, of a population. So on the one hand, yeah, you'd, you'd, you would think, well, you can get everyone involved with that small number. Mm. Um, but it just shows that there are, you know, there are technicalities that you, you do yeah. have to, you do have to take into account. Plus, you know, you do need to involve your government and your representatives yeah. as well. You know, a constitution is about, it's for the citizens and it's for to, it's to protect citizens and protect the land and, and it's to say what, you know, yeah, what we're for and actually what we're not for. But a constitution is also something that helps a nation become accepted in the international community in the United Nations and you know it, it's something that actually gives other nations confidence that mm -hmm. if they enter into an agreement with us or a treaty of some sort that we've got the, the legal kind of standing but also just the agreement of the population to uh, about how, how we deal with that you know honorably uh, as it were so you know I'd like to think that in the years following Scotland becoming independent that we will have you know some sort of citizens assembly set up grassroots input mm -hmm. And that coming together with the people who know how to put that language in uh, in place and to do it in a way that will be acceptable, you know, in uh, constitutional uh, affairs. We found an article on why the, the Icelandic constitution hadn't quite managed to result in a new constitution for Iceland. And I think it was that point about the grassroots were enthusiastically owning this and they didn't seem to bring their parliament and their government into it quickly enough yeah. so that when it was then reached that stage, they didn't have the buy-in of the people they needed to take it forward. And yeah. I think that was what I was quite impressed with what Mike was saying, that the process he described is, yeah. I think, will avoid that pitfall. Yeah. And it, he's the perfect person, really, to be leading it because of his background in the he parliament. Is. Yeah, he is, absolutely. So to move on to the next little section, I mean, interesting, we've just been talking about, you know, grassroots involvement and mm -hmm. uh, you and I just, just it was really enjoyable out at, Mul out at Mulgai the other day, wasn't it? When it we lovely. thought, well, let's, let's ask some passers-by if they've thought about what sort of constitution Scotland might have or, you know, or even do they think that it'd be better if the UK had one? I, I really enjoyed doing that. And it's great when you get people to, once they get on a bit of a roll and suddenly they're just there and they're telling you exactly what they think. So we're going to play this now. It's a little compilation of the, kind of the reaction that we got. What do you think about the UK needing a written constitution? It, it needs something dramatically changed because it's it's broken when you just look at this going on just now um, the whole idea of the ministerial code and such like it doesn't work it's broken there's mm. there's nothing to stop the government if it chooses just to go on and do what it wants to do mm. um, so just for that itself it's broken it needs something so hopefully we won't be part of the UK for much longer we can worry about our own constitution mm. we don't have a constitution I believe if we get independence, we would have our own constitution in Scotland. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, which I totally agree with. 
When you look at the example that we're getting from down the road right now, that more than anything says why we need a constitution to protect us from that kind of rogue government. You, know, you need something that sits above it. Really. An unwritten constitution is not a constitution at all. No, it's, it's whatever they say it is. That's what everyone goes about. Well, Parliament is sovereign. Actually, what that means is it's just folk with the biggest number of MPs that gets to decide it. And historically, they would argue maybe it's worked okay because yeah. governments and ministers have, at least on the surface, appeared to have an element of integrity. Yeah. But that's broken, that's yeah. gone. It's gone. And, and once it's gone, yeah. how that's recovered, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. At the moment, I mean, what's happened to happen in Westminster? Oh, it's shocking. Right, he's just, he's a mirror image of Donald Trump, isn't he? That's all he's doing, yeah. he's exactly the same as Donald Trump. Yeah. Uh, it's a disgrace. The other thing is a disgrace is the fact that his own government MPs sit and simply do dodges with him. Except that what can he say? What do you think about what Scotland will need in terms of the constitution? I know there's been some work being done to get something down black and white, and I think that's important. Mm. And I think to get as many people and groups and different interest groups involved, whether it's trade unions and pensions groups and workers and businesses. Scotland, since the 50s, or the 60s, has become, and I use the word socialist, a socially minded country. Right. Not necessarily fully socialist, but Social Democratic. A, a constitution that recognises full democracy uh, and the opportunities for a socially improved country. Would you put in it? I'm going to last and commitment to independence. Well, that would be a good start. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to get the chance to do it unless no. we've got that far. Like, I'd like to see something in it about land reform and, and foreign owners. That... Oh, I'd be yeah. up for that. Yeah. Give them small compensation. And... It's our utilities as well, though, and ports and everything. And we we own nothing. Well, we've got all the natural resources are here. Mm -hmm. uh, if we get the opportunity. Yeah. Whether or not you like these turbines or not, it's cheap electricity. If we get them offshore, wind, wave. You've got all the energy We've off the yeah, yeah. Well, right, that, that. You agree with it. Nuclear energy is relatively free, although I don't think we would need it in this, in this country. And mm. the other thing, of course, nuclear, the first thing I would do is get rid of that abomination doing the translate. I think we need to commit ourselves to something more international, international outlook rather than investment stuff. Not just yes voters either, it's if it's going to be. just be people who support it, it's yeah. not everybody if it's going to work. Whatever it is, it should be in it. It should be well underway under discussion now, and it has been kind of left on the side. There's a bigger mission for 2014. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic opportunity, though. You know, make it well, the way you want it. I mean, plenty of people have done it, so um, absolutely, yeah. They learn from a lot of those places and, and do a good job of it. Certainly can't be any worse than what's going on. Just really like, can't, can it? So no. the sooner the better. Hopefully, hopefully we'll hear some news soon. About <laughs> hopefully.
the difficulty with the right in that constitution. But next month we're going to carry on on this subject and we've got an interview with Dr. Elliot Bulmer coming up. So here's a little taster of next month in this show. I want to demystify constitutions mm. and just explain them that, you know, constitutions are about as interesting as the plumbing in your house. You want it to be there, you want it to work, you probably don't want to have to take too much of an interest in it until it starts to stink. And when, and when there's a when there's a problem, when, when constitutions are broken, when they don't work, when they don't provide uh, a sound agreed basis for mutual cooperation and for holding governments to account and for including people in the political discussion, that's when people start to notice them, right? So in a British context, we we're having a lot of conversation now about the uh, inadequacy of Britain's very unique kind of unwritten constitution. I might even call it a sort of non-existent constitution. A we pretendy constitution, if you want to use those terms. Um, because it doesn't, it doesn't perform some of the key functions that a constitution normally performs. So most countries have a thing called a constitution. It looks like, I don't actually have one to hand because all my books are in storage in Dundee somewhere. But um, they're, they're not telephone books, they're, they're thin little things that you can put in your pocket normally. Um, and they set out the ground rules of the state and most countries have them. I think we tend to think, when we think of constitutions, people think about America, you hear about the American constitution on TV, but America is actually an outlier, right? America has a very odd constitution, a very old constitution. If you're looking at a constitution today, you wouldn't look at America as your example. You'd look at perhaps other Commonwealth countries, um, um, countries like uh, Australia, Jamaica, Barbados, etc., that have had a, a similar parliamentary system of government, but have written it down in, in ways that clarify it and, and protect it. Um, you'd look at other European countries. So you'd look at places like Sweden, Norway, Ireland. Um, and so this comes back to your first question. When you start with a blank piece of paper, what do you do? Well, you almost never start with a blank piece mm -hmm. of paper. And you can hear the rest of that interview on next month's episode of The Indie Jigsaw Show. You've been listening to The Indie Jigsaw Show, brought to you by the Indie Live podcast team. If you enjoyed this, please share it. If you'd like to check out our website, which is podcasts.independencelive.net, you'll find podcasts from all our other shows and also our blogs and various other goodies. We have a new podcast out every Friday and sometimes an extra on a Tuesday as well. So subscribe and you won't miss anything. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye now.